That's amen, amen, amen. <coughs> Thought Brother Steve was leaving, but it was Doug. <laughs> amen. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter number eight. Hebrews chapter eight. Say something about Brother Brad, but I'm waiting till he's gone to say it. A lot of people out on deputation, and they're going to start serving the Lord just as soon as they get enough support to go to the mission field. Uh, you got you you got to serve Him where you are, and then then the Lord will send you and use you on the field. And Brother Brad, he's been a faithful worker in his church since he was just a just a boy, just and. Uh, He's, he's a young man now, but I mean, he just started out living for Jesus right from the right from the start. And you can do that. You don't have to have be out in the world for ten years. You can have some horrible, gruesome testimony about all the deep pit God pulled you out of. You can have a great testimony saying, "God saved me from ever getting in that pit." And so, so thank the Lord for it. All right, we've been talking about the names of Jesus. You probably knew that we've been doing this since August, but we come to the letter. Uh, M this evening, that's after L, we did L, so now we're on M, the letter M. And just a number of uh, short uh, looks at uh, names that have maybe one, two, uh, three verses to them tonight. Majesty, Maker, uh, Messiah, Most Holy. That's That in itself, if that's, if that's all the names you had for Jesus in the whole Bible, that'd be good enough. He's the majesty, he's the maker, he's the Messiah, he's the most holy. Then, in greater detail, on the next few Sundays, uh, he's called the man, he's called master, he's called the mighty God, he's called the mediator. So this letter M and its names and designations for Jesus holds a great wealth of blessings that we look forward to enjoying together. All right, let's pray. Father, help us tonight. As we look at your word, to look at you, and Lord, may the person of Jesus Christ come off these pages, and and may we behold his wonder, and may we be filled with love for him as we leave this place tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 1, now of the things which we have spoken, that's all the first seven chapters of Hebrews, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, and by how much also is he the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now, in in... If, if you're going to be real technical and, and split this thing just precisely, 
Jesus Christ, the mediator, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is sitting on the Father's right hand. But he is, as we have learned throughout our study of this point, he is co-equal with the Father. I and the Father are one. They are one in all of their attributes. They are one in all of their glory, all of their power, all of their splendor. And the Bible says that, that the throne where the Father and the Son sit together, enthroned as as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. That is said to be with a capital M, the majesty in the heavens. The majesty in the heavens. I would say to you that beginning with our witnessing or beginning with the witness that we receive, We have all been led to believe that the ultimate goal is heaven. We have all been led to believe that don't you want to go to heaven when you die? Wouldn't you like to get saved so you can go to heaven? And yet the Bible says that if you got to heaven, heaven would not be the majesty. There is a majesty in heaven. I don't read anywhere of the majesty of heaven or the majesty about heaven. I read about the majesty in heaven. I want to say to you, there is something more majestic than a gold street. It's God. There's something more majestic than a mansion house. It's the Lord. There's something more majestic than a crystal river and, and trees and, and all the, the, the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper that we read about. Heaven is no doubt a beautiful place. But the majesty of the place is not the place. The majesty of the place is the person who sits upon the throne in that place. I want to say, and and I'm certain of this, my heart might long for gold, but what my heart needs is love. My heart might desire pearls, but what my heart needs is grace. My heart might desire a huge house to live in, a, a mansion over the hilltop, but what my heart needs is joy. And I'm telling you, if you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, it would be one more place without love. It would be one more place without happiness. It would be one more place without contentment, without satisfaction. This world has mansions by the millions with unhappiness. This world has wealth beyond compare. And, and there are many, you, you know how, how the, the, the upper crust lives in this world with their, their luxury and their jets and their finery and their, their, uh, and all of that. And yet their, their divorce rate is as high as any divorce rate. Their drug addiction rate, their alcohol rates as high as, as any. Their suicide rate is as high as any. If you got to heaven, it was just a pretty place. After all, you say, okay, I've seen that. Let's try something else. I've looked at that. What else can you show me? But I'm telling you, in heaven there is a majesty. And the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ excels all that He has created. It excels all that He has done. And when you get... Listen, we read Revelation 4 and 5 just a couple of weeks ago. Nobody in heaven is falling down before the jasper walls. Nobody in heaven is falling down before the pearly gates. Nobody in heaven is falling down before that, that, 
great white throne with the, with a rainbow above it. They're all falling at the feet of Jesus. And they're praising Him. Not the scenery, not the surroundings. They're praising Him. I'm telling you, He is the majesty on high. Our songs, and, and I, I'm not criticizing the songs. Songs are uh, what they speak to our heart and they help our hearts and they're the expression of our hearts. But most songs about heaven nowadays, I mean, even some of the old hymns uh, get kind of... Uh, you know, sentimental on this thing. But most of the songs nowadays about going to heaven are people want to go to heaven because mama's there. People want to go to heaven to shake daddy's hand again. People want to go to heaven because all my friends and loved ones are up there. Let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, the top thing on your list won't be mom. The top thing on your list won't be dad or grandpa or your best friend that went on before you. The top thing on your list is going to be Jesus Christ the Lord. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying it won't be wonderful to, to reunite with friends that have gone on before and loved ones who have gone on before. But you realize when you get to heaven, you're going to love everybody as much as you've ever loved anybody. You're going to be as glad to see everybody up there as you think you're going to be glad to see one or two people because we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are to love one another with a pure heart fervently. I'm hindered right now. I'm in a body of flesh and I got all this sin and best I can do is love a few people as I ought to. But I get up there, I'm going to love everybody as I ought to. You think you're going to be pushing people out of the way and say, get out of the way, I'm looking for grandma. Everybody's attention is going to be in one place. The majesty, the majesty on high. What a fit name for our Lord and what a fit setting. Look again, the, of the majesty in the heavens. Let me just show you one thing before we move on to the next title here. Come to Revelation 21. We've read this together, but it's, it's a beautiful thought. Revelation 21 Speaking of this, of this great city, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, I, John, saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, we, we, in Revelation 21, you have a great description of this city. In Revelation 22, the description of the city goes on, and, and we're amazed at the wonder of this heavenly Jerusalem. But you know how it's introduced by the Holy Spirit? God's there. And you're with God. You see, that's the important thing. When you, when you come to verse number, oh, let's see, we come to verse number uh, 11, there's the jasper walls clear as crystal. Verse number 12, here's the 12 gates. In verse number 16, here's the size of the city, and it's, it's massive. The Bible says in verse number 18, the walls of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold. Like unto clear glass. Verse 19, the foundations of the, of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. 
And the Bible says in verse number 23, the city had no need of the sun, had the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, what an amazing place that is. Those walls, those gates, those streets, that all of that. But look at verse 4. And streets shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Couldn't do it. And mansions shall see to it there's no more death. And the river will see to it that there's no sorrow, no crying, neither should there be no more. Look, what you're longing for, come on, honestly, if you are laid up in a sick bed in a $10 million house or in a single wide trailer or in your first appointment uh, apartment, what you want is to be healed. If you are in grief over the loss of a loved one, it doesn't matter if it's a $100,000 funeral or a $300 cremation, your heart is broken. If I'm telling you, the things the human heart longs for cannot be met by anything material, even if it was the material things that God Himself made and, and formed into the New Jerusalem. It is God who wipes away our tears. It is God who takes away our sorrows. It is God who restores to us the full joy of life that that sin stole away. And I'm telling you, the majesty in heaven is not the place. Because the place can't do that for you. The majesty in heaven is the Lord. Two people uh, living on the same roof. They're fussing. They're fighting. They're quarreling. Everything's bad. And they say, "Well, let's let's move. Let's let's try a new house." And they move in the new house. And they're fussing. And they're fighting. And they're quarreling. And he said, "Well, I'll get a new job and 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 make some more money." And they're fussing. And they're fighting. And they're quarreling. And and they trade in the car. And they and they get a, a nicer car. And they're fussing. And they're fighting. And they're quarreling. And then one day they go to church and hear the gospel. And that man trusts Jesus and that woman trusts Jesus and Christ moves into their hearts. And guess what? The fussing goes and the fighting goes and the quarreling goes because the Lord is the one who meets the need of the human heart. Not material things. And nowhere would that be more evident than when you get to heaven and there's all of that wow to look at. And everybody's gathered around the throne Praising the Lamb. He's the majesty on high. And we're happy about that. Alright, he's he's the majesty. What else do we have about Jesus? He's the maker. He's the maker. He's the maker of man. He's the maker of all things. Let's start with the all things, then we'll go to the man. There's a great deal of argument about both of these in our generation. John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. You say, I believe in a big bang. What? exploded. Where did it come from? I believe in a great dust cloud. Where did the dust come from? I believe that over time things evolved. Where did those things come from? Somewhere back there you've got to have a starting place. Uh, whatever you want, you, you want to believe, uh, I, I, I have a, an authoritative statement on where all of this came from. Nobody in their right mind believes that if you dump a bunch of parts in a warehouse, over time it will form an automobile. Nobody believes if you just leave Home Depot alone, it will produce houses all by itself. 
Nobody believes the ingredients in the pantry or the refrigerator are going to turn into a meal. No one believes evolution in any aspect of life, and yet they claim to believe evolution is the origin of life. It's incredible. It, it does the, the entire belief system doesn't make any sense. Where'd your book come from? Well, the computer just threw some letters together and it turned into a story and it came out. Nonsense. Nobody believes that. And yet they want us to believe that all this great creation is not a creation, but just a series of random accidents like, you know, New York City. Who built New York City? Well, nobody. It just, uh, these, these bricks one day started spinning around and these boards started spinning around and glass started spinning around and wires started spinning around. The next thing you know, there's an Empire State Building. Nobody believes that. But they believe the ground it's built on came, came to pass that way. Just incredible. Now, the Bible says this, John chapter 1, much more satisfying, much easier to believe. In the beginning, was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That Word who dwelt among us, identified in John 1 as the Lord Jesus Christ, made all things. Nothing was made without Him. Nothing was made as a secondary creation or a a, a subsequent creation or a different creator. Everything that was made was made by Him. Now, the other, a couple of weeks ago, they had this debate. I didn't see it. I didn't listen to it. I didn't find out about it after the fact. But a man who believes the biblical account of creation had a debate with, with um, Bill Nye, the science guy. Never seen him either. Didn't know who he was. Uh, still don't know who he is, except he thinks God's a liar. He thinks everything just happened by accident. He, do, he doesn't believe the car that he rode to the debate in happened by accident. He doesn't believe in the jet plane he flew there uh, to, to get to Cincinnati and came together by accident. He doesn't believe the microphone and the sound system he was speaking on during the debate just came together by accident. But he believes the universe just came together by accident. Makes sense to him, doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, after that debate, poor old Pat Robertson came out the next day and said, the man who believed in creation was an embarrassment to Christianity and made us all look bad. Sorry, Pat. Sorry. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ made this heaven, this earth, Everything in it, He made it. That's what the Bible says. We believe that. Now, now let's go to, our, to uh, Psalm number 95. Psalm number 95. So, well, if I don't believe that, well, then you're contributing to all the murder, rape, molestation, and violence in our society. Because all that's a result of people not believing in a God to whom they are accountable. If you think you're an animal, you're going to live like an animal. Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills also. The sea is His and He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the temptation, uh, day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Now, we're called... Ignorant hillbillies, we're called uneducated dunces because we believe this record is true. That God made the seas by His power. God made the dry land, made the earth by His hand. We believe that and they say we're silly. And yet, everything they have, somebody made it and they know that. Everything they've ever, they've ever purchased, everything they've ever owned, everything they've ever traded, everything they've ever held in their hand, somebody made it. Go to the store, pick a made in China. Go to the next counter, made in Malaysia. Go to the next counter, made in Thailand. Go to the next, made in Korea. Made in, made in, made in, made in. There isn't one tag on one item in Walmart that says, came together by chance. Go to the mall and say, I don't want anything made by man. I want to buy something that evolved. There's nothing there. You say, well, just give it time. What, what happens if you give your house time? It falls apart. What happens if you give your, your, uh, your landscape uh, time? It turns to a jungle. What happens if you give your food time? It turns to mold and, and, and rot. Amen. Listen. You give anything time, it's not going to improve, it's not going to get better, it's not going to become more orderly, it's going to fall apart and die. And yet we are supposed to be the ignorant ones because we believe that an almighty God made the heavens and the earth. Well, I do believe that. And until you can come up with some proof otherwise, I'm going to keep believing that. They say, well, you know, don't you believe things evolve over time? No, I don't. I believe everything falls apart and dies over time. That's Now, you can show me something different. You sh- Show me people getting younger. Show me animals getting younger. That's how it is. You ever plant a garden? Take care of itself or you've got to take care of it? Maintenance. You spend half your, half your life saving enough money to buy stuff, and then the second half of your life trying to keep it from falling apart before you do. I just believe God made the heavens and the earth. And you, you start thinking there's no God out there, and you start flexing your muscles, saying man's great, man's great, man can do anything. And, and you, you start mouthing off about global warming, and God will freeze your bones. That's right. Ten years, that's all they talk about. Oh, it's going to get so hot and all the ice caps are going to melt. We're, all, we're going to try out the polar bear. Whatever. The polar bear can evolve. He can, he, can, he can evolve out of a fur coat and into a Speedo. 
They, they say they believe that. Just give those sea cows a hundred million years and they'll develop armor plates on their backs so they can swim right under the boat motor and not, not get cut. Just boat motor bounce right off of them. See, they say they believe. They don't believe that stuff. They don't believe it for a minute. They just don't want to believe in God. And so they come up with anything keep from, keep from believing in God. Evolution was true. That sphinx over there in Egypt wouldn't be falling apart. It'd be up and running by now. Thing would have come to life, be hopping all over the desert. Well, I don't believe you know that's an inanimate object. That's what you believe. You believe dust and gas turned into giraffes and elephants and porpoises. That's what they believe. Just amazing. Now you go go to science. We'll get back here to say go to science class. And they'll divide it up. They'll say, they'll say, well, there's the plant kingdom, and there's the animal kingdom, and then there's mutual homo's wild kingdom. They got the three kingdoms there. <laughs> but but you go, you say, you say, now, teacher, uh, you can't mark my test paper wrong because even though I said that the sandstone was part of the animal kingdom, you can't mark that wrong because it's evolving, and eventually that sandstone might turn into a bunny rabbit. Well, now you're being silly. I'm not being... That's what they say. There was nothing. Just a bunch of elements. And some of it turned into trees, and some of it turned into rocks, and some of it turned into Elvis, and some of it turned into Cadillacs, and that's what they believe. And that's not what the Bible says. I believe the Bible. It's just a book written by man. You mean like all your textbooks? There's not a book in this world wasn't written by man. How come the only one you won't read because a man held the pen is a Bible? Kind of prejudice there. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. See, if you know where you came from, it'll give you a pretty, idea, a pretty good idea where you're going. If you just came from the dirt, then you think you're going to the dirt. If you came from God, then you've got a chance of getting back to God. God's eternal, you got a chance at, at, at eternal life. All right, the Bible says, verse number 14, or 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. So I was me before I was born. I was me from conception. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Look in verse number uh, 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. Now here's what he said. God made me. I had no fingers, and then I had ten fingers. God did that. I had no toes, and I had ten toes. God did that. I had no distinguishing characteristics, and then I had precise distinguishing characteristics. I got my own set of fingerprints that nobody else had, my own set of DNA that nobody else had. And my, my own, listen, you, you, could, you could find me 
one little piece of me, one little drop of me, one little speck of me anywhere in the world, and you can identify that as being me. That's not accident. That's not chance. That's that's an amazing, all-wise creator. He numbers the very hairs on our head. He knows our thoughts. He knows the intents and motives of our heart. He'll bring us into judgment for every secret work. He meets our needs before we even ask. He's God Almighty. I'm glad I've got a maker. Be a miserable life if all this was just an accident and nothing to follow, no hope, nothing out there but darkness and dirt. Thank the Lord for a maker. Psalm number 100. Psalm number 100, this is something to to sing about and to, to rejoice in. Psalm 100. Here the Bible says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. See that? We are not accidents. We are not mere human reproductions. He made us. Hallelujah. Man formed in the image and likeness of God. Man accountable to that God. Man with the light of God in his heart and the conscience of God in his, in his soul. Man destined. To stand before God in a day of judgment. And that's the rub. See, we rejoice that there's a God who made us. And we rejoice that one day we'll get to spend forever with Him. But if I've lived like a beast and I want to continue to live like a beast. And there's a holy God who frowns upon that. Then somebody please come up with a theory. That will help me dismiss that God from my conscience. Once you dismiss God from your conscience, your neighbor's gonna have to deal with somebody that doesn't have a conscience. They'll kick your door in and rob you in broad daylight. They'll cheat you every way possible. They'll lie to you, not bat an eye. I don't wanna live, I don't wanna live surrounded by people who don't believe in a God who made them. A people without hope, a people without joy, a people with no future, a people who in this life only have hope and are of all men most miserable. Oh no, no, no. God, deliver me. Deliver me from that that despair of evolution. God, deliver me from that meaningless existence that is evolution. Holding mother's hand as the hospice people gather around and say, well, mom, this is it. No hope, mom. Nothing for you, mom. You, you, can, you can preach evolution and know God if you want to, but the day will come. The day will come. You'll wish you had more to lean on than the origin of species. You wish you had more to lean on than Charlie's trip to Galap- Galapagos Island. One day you're going to need some hope. There's hope in your maker. He made us, not we ourselves. We're his people, sheep of pasture. So Jesus Christ is the maker. Without him, not anything made that was made. All right, Daniel 9. 
Daniel 9 and John 4. Daniel chapter 9 and John chapter 4. Jesus is called Messiah and Jesus is called Most Holy. And those names are found in the same location. Daniel 9 in John chapter 4. The Bible says in Daniel 9 and verse 20. Let's start there. Daniel 9, 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer... Even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Now, it's not our purpose tonight to study prayer, but let's just quickly look at something here. He's speaking and praying. I don't know about you, even when I'm doing what I should be doing, my mind wanders. Does your mind wander? I would, I would suggest to you it's not commanded, it's not required, but if you would speak when you pray, it would help you keep your thoughts on track. It would help you keep your attention on the fact that you're conversing with God. And then he said, I'm con- I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God. I, it seems to me... And I, I, I say that I don't say this critically. I say this based upon four decades of, of being in prayer meetings, of four decades of having the prayer meeting leader read off the prayer request list, of four decades of people raising their hand and saying, "I have a request." For every one hundred prayers for something, you might hear one where somebody's asking God to give them victory over a sin. Now, why is it that if, and I'm not, I'm not being critical. Why is it if I get a sore throat, everybody needs to pray? But if I'm in a bad spirit, it's not a matter of prayer. Why is it an earache is an urgent prayer request and a bitter spirit is not? Why is it that if I, if I send this to everybody on your prayer list? Henry's going to have an operation tomorrow. How come, send this to everybody on your prayer list, Henry's going to be tempted to sin tomorrow? If it affects our body, prayer request. If it affects our income, prayer request. If it affects our, our, our friends or our loved ones in the, in the material realm, prayer request. But man, there's people that had a, had a lustful eye and a haughty spirit. And a covetous nature and a, and a lazy disposition. For 25 years, they've never asked anybody to pray about it. And they've never prayed about it. We're going to go out witnessing tomorrow afternoon. We're going to go out witnessing Saturday evening. We're going to go out witnessing Sunday afternoon. And not only, not only are many people not going, they're not even praying to God about why they don't want to go. 
Well, you know, I know I should, but well, yeah, but what? Have you prayed and confessed that thing to God? We don't preach on money around here. We don't take up offerings around here. But if you can sit in church for a year and get blessed by God and blessed by His Word and blessed by His people and you've never dropped $10 in the offering? How come that's not a matter of prayer with you? How come that's not something you need to take to God and confess and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm covetous. You said covetous is idolatry. <laughs> so, I'm just, it's just interesting to me that Daniel, he's not asking for anything. And he's in captivity. He's not asking for anything. And he's a, he's a slave in bondage. He said, Lord, wait, yeah, I, I got a lot of sin problems. I need to talk to you about my sin problems. In fact, our whole nation, we're just full of sin. I got to talk to you about our sin. I got, I got to confess to the supply he needed, the supplication he's making is for God to help him be righteous. Not for God to give him stuff. And we, we do it. Every church I've been in, they do it. They, I'm, I'm there on a Wednesday night, and they say, what's well, prayer meeting night? And they give out the prayer list, and here's the column for sickness, and here's the column for jobs, and here's the column for, for church needs. And, and there's not one column on there about sins. There's nobody in that church that's conceited. There's nobody in that church that gossips. There's n- Nobody's got a prayer request about help. God, help me get better? Well, that's just a little preaching slipped in there. We're supposed to be talking about the names of Jesus. He prayed before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. 21, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel... I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Well, you know, if I confessed to God, if I told God about all my sin problems, He wouldn't love me anymore. I I think He's probably aware of them already. Daniel, he's pouring out his heart about all his sin. Lord, come, sends the, sends this, uh, Gabriel, and Gabriel says, hey, Lord really loves you. You're a man greatly beloved. God doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because he is love. See, that's what's great about God as compared to everybody else. Everybody else is going to decide whether or not you're deserving of their love. But God is love. He just, he just, Loves us. I mean, you, you can't be rotten enough for God to, to not love you. What a blessing. All right, so he's given him understanding. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, we can't get into the whole prophetic thing here, but Daniel's not praying about the New Testament church. He's a Jew in captivity. He's praying about his people. My iniquity... Well, let's start at 24. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to die for my my sins. How about yours? 
He died for your sins? Alright, so my transgression is finished. He cried, it is finished. And to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, He's done all that for me. He's done all that for you. But He's he's going to do it one day for Daniel's people. For the nation of Israel. He hasn't done that yet. But He will. And so the Bible says in verse number uh, 24 that the culmination of all that will be the anointing of the Most Holy. Who is the Most Holy? 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. The prince should be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street should be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that should come should destroy the city and so forth. So, Messiah cut off. That's crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. But if, how's, if the Messiah is cut off, but he is the most holy Messiah, who is going to bring about the end of Israel's transgression and iniquity, and he's going to, going to establish their kingdom and Fulfill all those promises. How can Messiah die and be the conquering king? Well, he's just going to have to rise from the dead. He's going to have to come one time to die and one time to rule and reign. And that's exactly what he's going to do. Now, how can Messiah die and rise again? Because he's not just the Messiah, he's the most Holy. See, he had no sin. He died for our sin. He has no transgression, so he can be offered for our transgression. There's no iniquity in him, so he can finish iniquity. See, the, if, if you had a Messiah who's just a, a man, he can die, but he can't establish the kingdom of righteousness and peace. But if you've got a Messiah who's most holy, he can die for your sins, for my sins. But because he has no sin of his own, he'll rise from the dead. He'll sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he will come again to establish that kingdom long promised. Now, this, this word Messiah, you say it's odd. We, we, don't, we hear that word a lot. We don't read about it in the New Testament. Come to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4, and watch as the Bible explains for us why we don't find the word Messiah in our New Testament. Jesus says to the woman at the well, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. See the key right there? See the definition? When you read Christ in the New Testament, that is Messiah from the Old Testament. See that? Now, let's go back in John 4. And let's start reading at verse number 
Well, verse 4, Jesus passing through Samaria. He is at a place uh, called Sychar. Verse 6, Jacob's well is there. Jesus sits down at the well. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He said, he said, lady, politely, he said, lady, you don't know who you're talking to. I could give you something greater than you've ever had in your life. Verse number 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And, and Jesus, wanting to be able to get back to the church that night and say he'd won a soul, rushed right, no, 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 no. Because it's simple, but it's not easy. It's easy, but it's not simple. We've got to get it right. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou saidst truly. See, you've got to deal with the sin issue. If you're not willing to repent then you're not going to be saved. Because Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, we talked earlier about heaven. Remember that, about heaven and how Jesus is the main thing, not heaven? You can't find a verse in the Bible that says, get saved so you can go to heaven. You can't find a verse in the Bible that says, Jesus came so you could go to heaven. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. So here's what he, here's what he wants to know. He said, uh, woman, here, here's, here's what I want to know. Do you understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do you understand that you, you're not deserving of this water that I can give you? Go get your husband. I don't, I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. Because between the time you made uh, National Velvet and the, the time you made, uh, you know, uh, Cleopatra, you divorced four or five of those husbands. And now, Elizabeth, you, you hanging out with Michael Jackson, Elton John, I'm, I'm worried about you. I don't know what, to, what movies she make. She made a bunch of movies. Elizabeth Taylor, she, she's a Bible believer now. She believes by Anyway. So I'm not married. Yeah, I know, but you've been married five times, and what you're doing now, it's not marriage, but I, I know all about it. And she says, she says in verse number 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Well, if that's all he was, you wouldn't be in trouble. But he's the most holy. 
See, people want the living water, but they don't want the most holy. They want the Messiah, but they don't want the most holy. You can't separate them. He said, we got some issues here. So when she perceives he's a prophet, she immediately changes the subject and wants to get in a theological debate with him. Here's, here's, what's, here's what's funny about, about Christianity. Not funny, you know, hilarious, but, but odd, funny odd. Everybody in the world doesn't pretend to be a master mechanic. Everybody in the world doesn't pretend to be a, an expert plumber. Everybody in the world doesn't pretend like they can, they can perform the duties of a master chef. But everybody in the world thinks they're a spiritual genius. And somebody that's, somebody that's spent their entire life studying the Bible starts talking to a woman who's had five husbands and now she's living with a guy and she never read a verse of the Bible in her life, but she wants to argue theology with him. That's, I'm just telling you, it's just how it is. And so she says, well, let me ask you something, since you're a prophet. Our fathers worship this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So she wants to know which church is right. What church should I join? Jesus said, then her woman, believe me. Don't trust the mountain, trust Jesus. Don't trust the place where you worship, trust Jesus. Woman, believe me, thou art cometh when ye should neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. <laughs> what a polite way to witness to somebody. Well, yeah, I know you go to church, but you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I know you're religious, but you don't know the first thing about your own religion. You ever notice that when you tell, when you, somebody tells you what church they go to and you say, oh yeah, you guys believe this, this, and this. They say, no we don't. That person doesn't, but their church does. And they've been in that church all their life and you know more about it than they do. And so, so he says, oh, you don't even know what you're doing. For salvations of the Jews, but the hour cometh. And now is when the true worshipers to worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. So she's a Samaritan, but she's looking for the coming of the Savior, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. That's what he said. I'm Messiah. Daniel 9, that's me. The anointed one, that's me. The one who takes away sins, that's me. The one who brings in everlasting righteousness, that's me. Now, we've taken some time with this for a reason. I wish we could go back in time 50 years ago... And when we witnessed to somebody and they said, I believe in Jesus, you knew they believed in this Jesus. But we can't do that today. Because everybody out there believes in Jesus, but they don't believe in this Jesus. He said, I'm the most holy. That's me. I'm the one that takes away sins. That's me. I'm the anointed one who will establish the kingdom of peace and righteousness on this earth. That's me. I'm the Christ. Now, if you believe on him, you'll be saved. If you believe in some other Jesus that you are, or a religion made up, you can't be saved. And that's, that's the difference. And so, the Bible says here, 
she, she left her water pot, verse 28, and went her way into the city, saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Isn't that interesting? Let's go back to that thing about the maker. He's the maker. He made you. He knows you. He knows me. He formed us. He fashioned us. Now, this woman, suppose, suppose she's young. Suppose she's 25. She's not on in years. She's 25. But that's pushing it. She's been married five times. She's probably at least 35. Maybe 40. Let's say she's 35. Got married at 15, divorced at 17, married at 18, divorced at 19, married at 20. Okay, it happens. Just a string of bad luck, you know. Guys are all... It's just hard to find a good guy in a bar on a Saturday night. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus says to her, out of her whole life, 30, say she's 35. Out of 35 years, Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the, one, the man you're with now is not your husband. And she goes and says, he told me all things that ever I did. Now, he didn't tell her all things that ever she did. He told her, he, he pointed to one specific area of transgression in her life, and what she perceived in her heart was... All things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, listen, this is why when you say, you know, can I give you this about Jesus and he came to the world to save you and he died for your sins, that's why they run home and scream, he told me I'm going to hell. Because when they find out there's a real God who knows they did something, The conscience on the inside is pretty sure if he knows that, he knows it all. And so they don't hear what you say. They hear what the Holy Spirit speaks to their conscience. People come to church and they they sit through one sermon and they go go home and, and, and they tell their friends, Well, I'm never going back there. Why? Well, that guy, he called me every name in the book. He called you one name. He said you were a sinner. But when you heard sinner... All that other stuff that was in your heart came to light. See, he's your maker. And he didn't tell her everything she'd ever done, but he let her know that he could if he wanted to. That's a, that's tough, that's a tough one to get around. How are you going to trick God? Best thing to do is believe on him. And she she did. Verse 42. Then said the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying. They said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ. What does that mean? The Savior of the world. Okay, so here's what we learn in, in, in closing. Messiah. What does Messiah mean? John 4 says it means Christ. What does Christ mean? John 4 says it means the Savior of the world. So whenever you read Christ, Savior of the world. When you read Messiah, Savior of the world. Who is the Savior of the world? 
Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. So he's the majesty. He's the maker. He's the Messiah. He's the most holy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ.